take thou authority to preach the gospel. Indeed, I look upon all the world as my parish. Greetings, friends. This is Paul Nixon, and this is Field Preachers Podcast. And today I have with me two very interesting characters, um, United Methodist pastors in different parts of the United States. Um, I have Tom Arthur, who is the pastor of Sycamore Creek Church in Lansing, Michigan. I have Wendy Hudson with us, and she is the pastor of Two Rivers Church in North Charleston, South Carolina. So Tom and Wendy, greetings. Hello. Hi, thanks for having me on. It's fun to be here. And as I understand, Tom and Wendy, you're just meeting each other for the first time in this conversation. Yes. We've exchanged some emails, but this is the first time, uh, yeah, we're really talking. Yep. I love that. And I love the fact that this conversation is pulling you um, into um, a little bit of dialogue because what I discovered as I learned of each of your ministries and what was going on was there was some similar narrative happening, almost like a similar Holy Spirit thing going on in two very different places. Um, my perception of your churches, and you can fill this out as you share in just a moment, but my perception of your churches is that both of your churches had some good momentum and there was some good mojo going on as you as we headed into what we didn't know we were heading into the pandemic year. Um, coming out, your ministry and your challenge, your vision looks a little different than it did. And I don't know if, if I would say that you've taken a U-turn. You can, you can tell us that, but it changed significantly. And I find that interesting. And in both cases, I find what's going on in your churches to be um, similar to some stories I'm hearing all over the place as the Spirit is working in our midst. So since S comes before T in the, in the um, alphabet, I will just start with Sycamore Creek and just ask you, Tom, what, tell us a little bit about Sycamore Creek and what has happened um, in, the last, um, in the last 18 months in that journey. Yeah, thanks again, Paul, for having me on. Um, it's always fun to share Sycamore Creek's story and what God's up to. Uh, in and through us. Um, I'm the second pastor of Sycamore Creek. I followed the founding pastor, which is not a fun appointment to have. Um, in my second year, I was in tears in my district superintendent's office saying, I don't know if I've got what this church needs. And in year three, uh, things turned around um, and kind of what you're describing, the momentum started to build around year three. In year three, we launched Church in a Diner, where we, I wasn't familiar with the Fresh Expressions movement or anything like that. I just, we were renting in a school for Sunday morning. And so we didn't have a building to do anything other than on Sunday morning without renting. And we came up with this idea after, after having several different, um, you know, you, you get vision by visiting other churches or hearing from other people, kind of like what we're doing right now. And you take little bits and pieces from them and you put them together in your context and we basically came up with this idea to just uh, this particular diner closed at seven o'clock on Mondays. So I went and asked them if they'd open and stay open for another hour and we'd do a church service in there and fill this place up. And he said yes. And so that was church and a diner started and we started reaching all kinds of people that we hadn't reached or met before. Um, somewhere along the line, I can't remember exactly what years, maybe four years ago, we adopted a small rural church for a second campus. 
And then that same year, we also launched Church in a Pub. Um, so we did what we were doing, Church in a Diner, just in another place in the pub. Uh, we learned a little bit about overreach at that point. We, uh, we kind of outpaced ourselves, our capacity to do all of those things. And the church in a diner was maybe the casualty from that, um, but church in a pub uh, stuck it through. And Paul was actually in a conversation with you that I had where, you, where I shared this vision that our church had was to launch seven satellites and seven venues on seven days of the week. And you reflected back to me. I think actually you were coaching me at the time. You said, so you want to be a church that worships 365 days a year. And I thought, I've never thought of it that way, but yes, that is what we're, so we've actually adopted that language in a lot of ways. Um, whenever you're ready to worship, we're here to worship with you is kind of the way that we thought about it. Um, I share that because uh, we have a longer history than just the last 18 months of adapting worship and discipleship and, and a community of followers of Jesus into different places. Um, and one of the things, one of the things that we've learned is that architecture creates expectations. So when you are in a church building, the rows, the high vaulted ceiling, the stage up front or the chancel, whatever you call it, um, those all create expectations of being quiet, uh, the, the sort of transcendence of God, um, the authority figure, the clergy is up front with their vestments and that sort of thing. Um, but when you take what you do in a church building and you move it into a diner or a pub, you quickly realize that the architecture doesn't support any of those expectations. The architecture is tables sitting with people facing each other, um, waitresses or waiters coming in and out, people talking in the middle of your message. When you set the communion table, people decide that's a good time to get up and go pay the bill. Um, you know, the, the, the expectations of that space are community, talking. Um, the, there is no front. Well, where's the front of a, where's the stage in a diner? There isn't one. Um, you have to, you know. um, the authority is downplayed. Um, heckling is upplayed. Um, <laughs> so, so we adapted. You, you adapt and you don't do this. We, we, I would preach the same message in the diner or the pub, but I would preach it in a different way with different things around it. Um, so when the week of COVID hit and we went online, it wasn't that difficult for us to think, what are the, what are the, what's the architecture of the internet? What's the architecture of community online? And what are the expectations that come around with that? And in a, in a lot of ways, uh, the expectations of the internet are really similar to the expectations and architecture of a diner or a pub. Um, and, and you can just look at like, what are, what are some of the forms of this? This is stuff we learned in seminary, right? Like you, you, you learn form, textual analysis, narrative analysis, all those sorts of things. And we just need to take those skills and apply them to the context that we're in though. There's certain forms on the internet. Um, and we looked at kind of what are some of the things, some of our references um, that we were trying to kind of borrow from. Um, we thought about uh, at the time, my worship uh, leader was a, was a big sports talk radio guy. So you, you look at something like the Dan Patrick show and it's not heavily video produced. 
Um, it's just kind of videos in front of a guy, a group of guys and gals sitting in a studio talking um, for three or four hours. <laughs> and uh, they have clips, pre-recorded clips that they play. Uh, so that's one one kind of set of expectations. Um, another that we looked at, you know, like a YouTube channel or a YouTuber. Um, and that's, you know, sermons or messages we took from that. We started to kind of heavily edit those, pre-record them and edit them. So it was much more like a YouTuber vlog, um, sound effects, visual effects, so on and so forth. Attention span is shorter. So, you know, a 30 minute message, uh, doesn't really work. Nobody watches 30 minute YouTube videos unless they're assigned to you for a class or something. So we split our message into segments. Um, community engagement in the comments is like, is a huge part of online expectations. So this isn't, we wanted something created. We wanted to create something from the ground up that was by its very nature engaging. So messages and segments, um, with questions for conversation in the comments and in the studio. I think another thing that we've thought about are the huge thing on YouTube right now are reaction videos. So you watch, like you get somebody watching a video and reacting to it. So a lot of the way I think about Sunday morning is it's like a one reaction video after another, after another, we show something and then we react to it live in the studio. And then we show another pre-recorded clip and we react to it live. Um, and, and maybe a last, kind of reference would be um, like late night TV, like Jimmy Fallon, you have a special guest musician or special artist or something like that, special guest artist on, and uh, they're sort of off to the side and um, the, the host of the show interacts with them, but they're there to do their thing. And so we've been able to pull in a, a lot, like way more than just the way that we thought about a music band before and tap into all of the artists in the Lansing region who lost they lost audiences. They're not playing in bars and pubs anymore. Um, and we've been able to give them a, another audience um, and tie it in with the theme of the day and so on. So, you know, that, as you, that, as you talk, Tom, one of the things that's hitting me is the fact that we really are shaped by the space in which we gather. And um, often we, we, we gather to do the work of gospel wherever is available to do the work, um, whatever comes available the internet is what's is what's making itself available, um, but I think about years ago on my son's high school graduation trip, we were in Rome, and we walked in the Pantheon, which had been built as a as a um, a, a, a temple to a pagan god, and it, it's kind of a theatrical dramatic space, and it became available to be to be a church, and it's amazing how many of the spaces in which we worshipped. We, we, we took what we could find. We took what became available and we are shaped by Pantheon kind of space and expectations in the terms of the way we gather and do church even now. Um, and I don't, that could be good. That could be bad, but it, but we certainly are shaped by, um, by space. I had never really thought of that in the way that you're sharing it. Um, your There's church a quote has, that is attributed to Winston Churchill I think any good quotes that nobody knows who they said them get attributed to Winston Churchill, but it's, we build our buildings and then our buildings build us. Yes. Or something along those lines. You know, when, once you've created the architecture of a space, it has expectations that pull you along, whether you want it to or not. The, um, there is a nimbleness of spirit in your church. Um, 
And I, I find that um, true throughout this story that there was a, a willingness to, to kind of follow the, the adventure of the spirit as each new place opened up, as each new segment of this journey um, opened up. Wendy, as you listen to this story, um, tell us a little bit about Two Rivers, and maybe there's some similarity in what we just heard to, to what's going on in South Carolina. Your church is not as old as Tom's. No, we just celebrated our third birthday at the end of March. So we've spent you know a full third of our life um, in this weird pandemic type of space. But uh, Tom, I really resonated with what you were saying because we too have been formed um, in the places where we've gathered to worship. And so our first gathering place was in a barn. It was a outdoor wedding venue where they just stuck a cover on the end of a literal horse barn um, out where we were sent to plant. And so, you know, our worship really reflected, you know, all the things that we used around visuals re reflected that, you know, kind of farmhouse experience. And then just like you, we moved into a pub um, and then kind of experienced that same shift. And then we moved into a high school cafeteria, which we were very worried about because that felt like the most normal of all the places that we had been. And we were worried kind of how our community would react to being in such a normal spot. Um, and we were there a year before uh, the pandemic happened. And just like everybody else, we shifted um, all online. But I really resonate, Paul, what you said, that spirit of nimbleness. Um, and I think partly because we had already worshiped in three places in two years. We very much had this spirit of adaptation, of adventure, of um, kind of creating and molding um, our value. Our values don't change, but how they are lived and played out and how they look might adapt to the space that we were in. And so we just kind of took that same um, background and culture when we then went online and, um, I always say that we we really don't ever plan more than about three weeks ahead because the world changes, you know, kind of so rapidly. We have some loose ideas we hold, um, but really about every two to three months, we did some pretty significant shift in how we were offering um our online worship experience in some way um, until in November, we ended up shifting into uh, setting up a worship studio in the first floor of our creative director's house. Um, he had the perfect spot and he was already doing all the editing anyway. So we just moved into his first floor um, and did some pre-recorded things there and then have shifted into live, um, you know, live streaming our worship experience from that spot. Um, you know, one of the things that's been really fun in that adaptation, you know, kind of every couple of months we shift in uh, more either refinement or experimentation was realizing that we had the um, excitement of having conversations with more than one person. And one of the things that we, um, we you know, were doing is that, you know, kind of like I was just talking, but then as more of us were either potting up or then as soon as vaccines became available in the winter, uh, we were able to start having some more uh, one person at a time join, join us in the studio. And that has been really incredible as we've shifted now into uh, what we call a podcast style sermon. Um, and then oftentimes that guest, um, if they're able to be in person, will stay the whole time. And so then we're able to have um, 
almost like a talk show format uh, where we have conversation at the beginning. And then we have some of these pre-recorded elements like you're talking about, Tom, from different parts of our community. Um, and then we have the sermon time instead of one person speaking is two of us having a conversation around the scripture, or around the topic or whatever that might be. Um, and we've just found that that has been so enriching for our whole community. And it also reflects that value that we really have of not having just one person speaking or talking or bringing, you know, the main message, but really having a wide variety of voices present in our community. That's one thing, Tom, that I, you know, in watching your experiences, um, I mean, I lost count of the number of folks that y'all had uh, offering some type of spoken leadership or sung leadership um, in your, in your setting. And while we don't have the physical space to do that, um, you know, we're looking at kind of what is the next iteration over the next six months um, of this look like for us. And you don't know, do you? We don't know, <laughs> um, which is both um, uh, really terrifying, but also really freeing because, you know, we don't because we don't have a space in which we can meet regularly or weekly. Um, I'm actually curious. We're kind of actually in the midst of doing a survey right now. I don't know if our community will ever gather again every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock in person because, you know, they've spent a year worshiping in their pajamas in their house or in their backyard or while they're driving to, so, you know, somewhere, um, having worship experiences with their extended family in multiple states. Um, you know, just we every few weeks we do a Zoom family work. We call it family meeting. We gather on Zoom um, for the morning instead of live streaming our typical service. You know, we did that on Sunday and we had three states represented, um, eight different cities from around the state of South Carolina. So, you know, we have experienced, we had always been regional, um, but now we have become like East Coast, um, you know, all the way from from South Carolina to Maryland to upstate New York. Um, we have some folks in Mexico. And so it's been a really incredible way um, to see what does it look like for us to like live into this intentional community that is dispersed. So to both of you, pastors of nimble um, pilgrims, um, we are moving out of the COVID season. We really are. It really is happening. And churches and football teams and other kinds of gatherings are going to actually begin to see each other in person, real time, same GPS and all of that. And a lot of churches, I believe, are going to try to go back to where they were. Now, what my question for you both is this. What have you learned? What have you and your people learned about church, about the very nature of the mission that we are on in this pandemic that might keep you from going back because you know things now you didn't know then. You know, I think one thing that uh, that we've really experienced, um, I mean, this is we've kind of have always known this just because our congregation is chronologically young and we live a lot of our life are pre-COVID already online. Um, is that online relationships are real relationships, mm. um, and you know we have gained new folks in our community that we've never that none of us have ever met in person before, um, but we've been able to establish significant, meaningful, transformative relationships even in a fully digital space. Um, and so I think there's a sense that sometimes, and I don't know if it's generational, that online relationships aren't real. Um, but we have we have 
experience the opposite of that. Now we have paired these very um, significant digital relationships with a very tangible embodied experience. And so we may not have met people before, but we have dropped off uh, worship items for a season to their front door. We have, um, gone uh, to every part of our community that we can drive to. And we have chalked messages of hope for whatever the season is on their front steps or had signs that they are able to hang on their doors if they live in apartments. Um, We've been able to those folks who live outside of our 60 mile region, we mail them boxes of materials so they can interact with us. So we found that both the, um, the online and digital connection is real, but when it's it ha- for us, it has to be paired with some type of embodied, tangible experience also. And I think that's going to be a really key learning for us as we go forward. What about you, Tom? I'm trying to, like, it, it's an interesting question. And, and one thing that's coming to my mind is maybe not where you were thinking of or what you're thinking of, but my white church has found its call and response voice in the comments section. In, in a black church, the preacher knows exactly how everybody's responding to what he or she is saying in real time. And in a, in a white church, generally speaking, you, you don't get that as a preacher. Um, you know, I had a Richard Lisher was one of my preaching professors at Duke, and he was from a Lutheran background. He said he had to look for like a raised eyebrow. <laughs> as like somebody responding positively to what he had to say. Um, so, you know, what, what's going on right now is both people are responding what's in their head in real time. I'm hearing it in real time and people are now, this is the cool part about online that doesn't even really fully happen, at least in the black churches I participated in Um is in real time, then people are ministering to each other in the comments section. Um, so in a, in a sanctuary, first of all, no, nobody's, <laughs> nobody in a white church is saying out loud in the middle of my sermon, I can't forgive so-and-so for abusing me, blah, 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 you know, whatever. Like they're, they're thinking it and, and they're not sure that what you're saying is applies to them at all but they're not saying it out loud. And then if they did happen to say it out loud, there isn't a group of people who are going over like in the moment while you're still preaching and, and ministering to this person. Um, I've been there. I've, you know, I, I was abused as well. Like I still struggle with forgiveness. Uh, we're glad you're here. We love you. Like, and it's absolutely beautiful. And, and it's a kind of um, priesthood of all believers that doesn't exist when you are just in in a physical space with the expectations of that architecture. And, and it takes some of the load off of me as a pastor to be the only one. And, and people share some really intimate, crazy stuff. Like this last Sunday, we were talking about families. And I was a little shocked like at what people were sharing in the comments that they, they were naming like... <laughs> And even we had these college students on who were part of the improv group. They've never even been in our service before, <laughs> have no idea who we are. And all of a sudden they're thrown into talking on camera about how they get along with their siblings. And they're saying, well, my older sister, I'm okay with, but my younger brother, we're not on speaking terms. And 
I'm not the only one carrying that weight because it can't, it can get, uh, Wendy's I'm sure had this experience. You have two pole, Paul, you carry a certain weight of pastoral care as a pastor that can sometimes be really isolating and, uh, can just be weary, wearying. Is that a word? Um, that's a word. And I know, you know, the way the system is set up right now, it kind of creates that. And I, I'm not sure that's not unhealthy or did I say that right? I had two double negatives in there. I think I'm pretty sure that's unhealthy that the way we've set up clergy to be between as the professionals and the person who holds confidentiality and anonymity amongst all of the mess of your church. And here online, people are putting their mess out for everybody to see. And well, and I'm that's pretty sure private messaging conversations are going on as well. This is feeding the engagement, not just the fact that these conversations are happening simultaneous. That's engaging at a, at a certain level. But the fact that there's this kind of authenticity that's happening, it's the whole thing's becoming much more interesting because it's like you've gone off script. You know, in so many churches, everything is predictable. Everything is sort of sanitized um, that it is kind of boring. But I mean, you, you, there's no telling what you're going to hear next, you know, when people feel that kind of freedom to, um, to share what's really going on, what they're, what's, what, where they're really living, what they're really. Um, I did a training one time for, I don't even remember who it was for, but they brought me in to, to talk about church in a diner. And one lady raised her hand afterwards in the Q&A and she said, this feels like sugar-coated church. <laughs> uh, or something like that. And and I was, I said, you know, I think it's actually the exact opposite because I pose a question that they have to talk about at their tables, whereas they can come to your church, listen to the sermon and not like have to publicly do or say anything. And I think you could maybe think like, well, what you're doing is entertainment. And I say, well, I don't think like you're missing like every, all of the real discipleship that's happening in the comments in a way that I've never seen happen in a sanctuary. Uh, Tom, I have to totally agree with you um, that that is also, you know, what we found. One thing that has been really incredible to me and I think has enabled us to, to maintain, you know, especially because we're, we had only been together for, I mean, total for two years. So the longest relationships that anybody had were only two years long. And a lot of them were six months long and some of them were two weeks long, you know, before this happened. But we really found that the online engagement between both the Sunday morning comments, because like you, we kind of set up that expectation that from week one, we were still going to gather together at 10 a.m. every Sunday morning and worship together. Um, and like you say, that comment section has been life for so many people um, and life saving, I think, and, and life changing for so many people. Um, but especially using all of our other, you know, like we have a closed Facebook group, um, you know, where our folks at come in and the care that people have given to each other um, is just exponential to the care that I ever could have given anybody alone. Um, but we've seen that there's something about um, the gift of the digital space is that it does give us sometimes the freedom and the courage to say things we might not say face to face. Um, when you also have really nurtured that culture of authenticity and vulnerability, those are two of our core values anyway. So we talk about that a lot and then we live it out and then we're able to highlight it when it happens. But that has been, um, I would say that I, I, I have also experienced that same thing in the folks caring for each other. Um, just the ways that people have been able to be nurtured has truly been one of the gifts of this time for us too. 
Wendy, it is a gift. It is a gift that you have no building because you're not committed in terms of any kind of architectural um, strategy. Um, Tom, on the other hand, you have an amazing building that just sort of fell into your hands and you, um, you purchased this building a few years ago in, this, in the center of your city, um, in a place where you could truly try to um, become a more multicultural kind of ministry. Um, what's the, what is the, um, the thoughts? What are the thoughts that are running through your mind about that building? And so right now um, we, we turned our cafe into a studio, but this past Sunday was the last time we were going to be in the cafe. We're moving it into back into the sanctuary. Although we don't call it, we don't usually call it a sanctuary. We call it a worship area or worship space. Um, and the, the idea, well, so while we've been in the studio in the cafe, we've had a 10 person live studio audience. And in some sense that I don't, I worship isn't, a show. And I don't particularly like the idea of audience as the right word to talk about the congregation, but, but I did it intentionally or labeled it intentionally that way. because the idea was that we're, you're coming into the studio to, you're not the object of what we're doing. We're not doing it for you. We are, you're helping do what we're doing in here for the people through the camera on the other side. So you're helping add energy, um, helping kind of have a sense, more sense of a community in that space. So as we move into the sanctuary um, and sort of think about post COVID, it feels to me like we're either at the end of the middle or the beginning of the end of this pandemic. Um, so you can kind of see like it out there, the, the sort of final end, but you're not, it's still not sure where that is exactly, but compared to last year at the same time, it's clearer. And, and so now the thought is like how, how do we do something that happens in a space that's both that connects both with people in the space and is also clearly aimed at people outside of the space? Um, so we're thinking about almost thinking about the sanctuary as just a big studio. Um, so what's happening in the studio space is really you're there for what's hap- for how it gets transmitted beyond there. Um, you can kind of see some of this in the sense of the way that, uh, like podcasts that do like live versions of their own podcast. So if you like, wait, wait, don't tell, or like, I don't know, I listen to NPR politics podcast, like they'll occasionally do like a live version and somehow they're pulling off both something in the live, like normally when they're just in the studio, it's really clear, like what they're producing or creating is not for anybody in the studio. It's for the people who are listening on the other side. But when they go live in an auditorium, they're still, they're, they're shifting because they want to, part of their audience is now in the room, in the studio, but the bigger audience is still outside of the studio. So that, that creates, that creates a space or a value system to make decisions about the content and how you're engaging it. You still have to think about the larger audience outside of whatever the auditorium is you're in. And the people in the auditorium understand like, well, when we laugh, that's part of what's getting recorded and part of the podcast then. And that's part of the unique energy in the, in the room. Um, but but we're, a- we're trying to use the building, especially more and more for 
like com the community to use the building. Theater groups, community theater, we've remodeled it for it to be that kind of, like it's basically like a community theater at this point. Well, speaking of community theater, I have a client in London who is doing some amazing work in terms of the spirituality of what happens with good performance art. And I say performance art, it could be music, um, it could be um, a play, um, but it could, be a, it could be a ball game. But what happens in terms of how that event and the people watching it begin to share together in a common we-ness, us-ness in that experience and um, as she was describing this the other day, I, I, I remembered a, a time when I was in a theater watching Les Mis, as it were, and the lights went up and everybody around me is from a different continent. Um, and they've been coming on tour buses and there's and I don't speak their language, but yet every third person has um, tears in their eyes. And it's like, wow. We don't even speak the same language, but we just experienced something here. And there's a, a common um, moment on which you could build all kinds of things off the platform of that. Um, so when you talk about the studio audience or about the audience that's, that, that is experiencing this, yeah, there is an, uh, there, it is audience, but it is, it's so much more than that. When, when the, the way we, the way we work, <laughs> it's always going to be so much more than that. We're not going to just leave it with, with a, a performance. Wendy, what are you thinking as you listen to this? Um, I love this idea of how, because isn't that inherently what worship is, is, you know, participating in a moment uh, where what is happening, like you said, is, I mean, we're always surrounded by the communion of saints. We're always offering what we do, um, to God and especially in this Trinitarian idea. So like, I, I love Tom, how you're framing that um, experience of, of your congregation, your community gathered is creating something um, and at the same time, participating in something that's for um, a much bigger, a much bigger space. And that's something that we're, I think, as we kind of look at what our next step is over these next few months is, is how are we able then to start replicating for our folks who live in upstate New York and who live in Annapolis, Maryland, while we're in Charleston, South Carolina, um, how can we start helping them form this same type of community that is, you know, perhaps it's a two rivers community, Annapolis campus, you know, or perhaps it's, you know, the beginning of something that um, some folks there will create that will turn into something, you know, new or different. But that's something how we're trying to figure out right now in this in-between space is how, how are we going to be able to use, like you say, the freedom that comes with not having or being tied to a physical location, um, but how can we replicate out and offer this community to even more people? Um, you know, through the digital platform, but then also through the importance of these very tangible embodied human expressions. I think there's a way when something you're saying there, Wendy, is making me have some thoughts I've never had before in the sense that um, isn't that what worship was is supposed to be all the time, like that the group gathers in a space with a missional, like externally focused, like mission or or vision Um and where we've been at in the last year and a half, at least the way that I think our two churches have done this, has made what was implicit explicit. I think about, so over the last summer, one of my dear friends and colleagues uh, who's a 
a black pastor and as part of the local Black Lives Matter leadership that was organizing for the statewide rally down at the Michigan Capitol. Michigan has been just in the news for lots of reasons. Of course, uh, we were unfortunately the the opening act to what happened at the Capitol, um, the national Capitol happened here at our Michigan Capitol. So it's, it's, it's a really charged space here in Michigan and in Lansing, which is the capital where the capital is in Michigan. And, and I went over to his house before, um, and uh, my role for the day, I had no role. I was like his shadow. Like I was there to like, if you need something, I'm I'm just, you know, six feet away from you. I'll, I'll go get it. If you, you know, and his wife gave me his favorite snack. So I always had those on hand and and everything like that. But before we went, I, I we sat in his living room and I asked him if we could, if I could pray for him. And um and we prayed and I prayed for him. And, uh, you know, this is, we, we have a lot of, there are a lot of different churches that have been calling for prayer meetings around all of what's happened with racism and then not doing anything like it, that just, you just pray about it and then maybe it'll go away. And when we got done praying and we were praying for him for that day and everything, he looked, he looked at me and he said, now this is what prayer is for. Let's go do this. And, and it was, it was prayer for, we, we gathered privately in his space to pray and to seek the compass and energy of God. And then we left to go act on it. So the prayer was always, it wasn't focused on us in the, in like in his kitchen, that wasn't the focus of our community there. It was always external. Um, and, and there's a way maybe the cameras in your worship space, like remind you like that everything that's happening here is not, it's, it's not about us in this room. It's about the kingdom of God and the mission of God um, in the community of love and justice and mercy. And Ten years ago, roughly, I was driving to visit a church, some church in Virginia one Sunday morning, and I was listening to NPR, and Paul Rauschenbusch was interviewing Diana Butler Bass. And at the close of that podcast, he asked, he said, Diana, where's the church going to be in 50 years? I don't know if it was a pre-rehearsed question but she didn't miss a beat. She said on the internet and there was something about her clarity, especially 10 years ago about that, that intrigued me and caused me to look again at what is the, the online um, platform possibilities of how this is going to sort of remake um, our missional work. Um, there is no doubt that the internet, that, superhighway of communication is a part of the Roman road system in our day. Mm -hmm. And it's a part of how Sycamore Creek, and it's a part of how two rivers, it's how you do your work. It's, it's how you, you, it's how you show up to, um, to your mission and to your people. But as we close this out, I would like for you to just share briefly each of you in terms of as you, as the, the whole idea of the giant rallied gathering of all these people in this room, sort of gives way to this new way of thinking, what is the role of the small cell in your, in your thinking and your visioning um, at Sycamore Creek, at, at Two Rivers? What the, the group of eight to 12 people packed into someone's dining room or, or on their back porch, is that a part of the, the future of your church? It, it's very much a part of our present um, because you know, that, that's where our 
those small groups have been where community has been maintained over the past 14 months. For us, we already had a pretty strong small group uh, structure and that really continued and deepened. Um, but what we have seen is that it, it's just, I mean, it's just like John Wesley knew, just like everybody from the earliest Christians have known that is where the true life-changing transformation discipleship takes place is in those small groups. It's where the magic happens. What about you, Tom? Well, I think there's, there's sort of a couple layers of answers to the, this question. One is that I've been deeply influenced by the new monastic movement and have lived in community um, and live in community right now. Um, my wife and I have always, uh, for pretty much our entire adult life, um, had someone else living with us who wasn't part of our biological family. And then while we were in Durham, we learned about at Duke, we learned about the new monastic movement, which we had not been familiar with before that. Um, and the new monastic movement is basically like Christians living together um, and participating in certain Christian practices. One key one being hospitality, um, sharing your home with, with someone, usually poor or homeless. Um, so there's a way that that I've thought about this vision that we had seven satellites and seven venues on seven days of the week, that I imagined that some of those were probably going to be kind of house church in orientation. Um, and what's happening right now is as we're doing these pre-recorded sermon YouTube things that have like moments where you pause and talk about questions in the middle, one, one of my own partners in our church, we call members partners, are partnering with us in the mission of Sycamore Creek. Um, one of my partners said that they thought that maybe the way that we're doing sermons right now might actually help facilitate our vision of worshiping 365 days a year more than what we were doing before. Um, we did a survey of our church and asked them of the things, the creative things we've done, which ones do you think are going to be most important for your spiritual growth post COVID and the top two things that people said were the pre-recorded messages and the online streaming. So my church is already gearing up to think that they're not going to be, they may like being at home better. Um, and it may be a small group of 10, 15 people who gather on a Wednesday night at somebody's house and they jump on our YouTube channel. And that's a part, this is part of their covenantal life together is to, watch the message for that week and to pause it at the certain places and have the conversation and have a dinner and a meal together and um, a kind of communion or a sacramental meal or love feast as Methodists like to call it. Um, so I, I think there, I think there might be some things like that. That'd be the first level. The second level are just, we do small groups and kind of a semester based format. We have three semesters that run the year, spring, summer, and fall. We euphemistically skip the winter, calling any of them winter in Michigan. So uh, the, those are have clear beginnings, clear endings, um, and it's kind of the easy on-ramp and easy off-ramp. And those have continued on. I think what we're going to see more and more of, we're going to see a lot of those staying online. Right now, people don't get to choose whether to be in person or online. And so they're sort of frustrated about it all. But when they get the chance to choose in the future, um, I think a lot of them are going to choose, oh, my, I'd like to stay at small group online. This is really convenient. There's something pretty amazing about having dinner with my family. Five minutes before the group starts, I walk into my den or my bedroom or whatever. I turn on my computer and there's my small group. 
and the possibilities of who we can invite next week just explode online. Yeah. Geography and does not does not really um, impede us all coming together. Tom and Wendy, this has been fun, and I might like to get you two back um, a year from now to see what happens, because there's a there's a little bit of suspense in the air in both of your churches in terms of where it's going, but it seems clear that it's going in a good direction, that God is in the house, so to speak, with you, um, and that you are approaching mission in a different way than you would have if we hadn't just been through a pandemic. You know, one of our sayings um, whenever we hit a roadblock is either this is God's invitation to us for creativity, or we say this is God's invitation to deeper in our prayer life and we rejoice. Uh, we have certainly said those phrases, you know, on an almost daily basis for the last 14 months, but there really is a lot of truth to them. And I'm excited too to see what's going to, what prayer and creativity is going to bring out these next, these next few months. Thank you both for your time today. Um, and thank you to all of our listeners who have joined us. This is Field Preachers Podcast. I'm Paul Nixon. Field Preachers Podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.